This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Devil is on his way. Devil is on his way. Devil is on his way, motherfucker. The devil gonna make you pay. Fall to your knees. Devil is on his way. Fall to your knees. Devil gonna make you pay. Fall to your knees. Devil is on his way. Motherfucker, he's on his way. Mountain Murders is an Appalachian true crime podcast. Listener discretion is advised. The show contains graphic language and depictions of violence. It may not be suitable for all audiences. We say fuck a lot. Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan. You are. Oh, I feel so Dylan-y today. We're refreshed. Ah, oh, yes. Apologies, we skipped a week of podcasting. Right. But we are back, and thank you for listening to episode 88 of Mountain Murders Podcast. Uh, yes, and um, we are back refreshed, and it was part... We wanted to get away for a little while, and it was part in um, solidarity with the things going on in our nation. And Pod- bla- Podcast blackout. Black Lives Matter. It matters to us. And right quick, I don't know if this is, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but right quick, if you don't think, if you think it's okay to kill American citizens in the street, then stop listening to us. Our content is not for you. Our content's not for you, and I don't want you to download a single other thing. That's all I'm going to say about it. And I think every other podcast, the big ones, the little ones, everyone should make the their position on that known. Because I'm so sick of the fucking arguments and the rationalization. Oh, just comply with all this bullshit. Okay, and I think that's why George, George Floyd in particular, after we've seen it over and over again, he was obviously under control, cuffed, with four cops on top of him, okay? And that cop continued to lean on his neck with his fucking hands in his pocket. And no other cop drug him off of him and made him stop. So I think this is like, I don't know. It's, it's like a culture. It's a culture. And then um, we see all these other stories. You were reading those stories when people ask, uh, okay, you know, have the cops ever showed up and helped you out? And even on small matters, cops are... Yeah, let me get into that. So someone had posed the question on Twitter, have you ever needed to call police? For what reason? And what was the outcome? And these were people from all backgrounds. All races, all backgrounds. It was pretty interesting to see the comments and replies. 
the majority of people on this post were stating that they didn't feel like they really got help when they asked for it. And at the same time, assistance. I respect what cops do. It's a hard job. I don't have the guts for, for it. Money. It is a very, very important job, and I think we need a police force. That being said, is I think there's a culture, and it's been so embedded for so long. It's this, I'm right, you're Us wrong. Against them mentality. It's the gang in blue mentality, and uh, that's I think that's where it went awry because we, we long since past are the days with the friendly cop in the town. The Andy Griffith show yeah. where you have community policing. Community policing. The cops are from that community. They're friendly with the residents. They're friendly. They know everybody. They have a rapport. They have a rapport. You um, aren't afraid to go up and ask him questions. Or, I mean, just you get an air about nowadays like, oh shit, you know, there's a cop. Let me make sure I do everything exactly right. Like in the car when you're driving or, oh my god, you know, my I'm getting pulled over my registration sticker's dead or you know, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I think it's went sideways a, a long time ago, and and it doesn't make all cops bad. They're just in this system now that is built a certain way, and it's not working out. Well, there's a lot of discussion back and forth in the podcast community about whether we use our voices to stand up, to speak out. And a lot of people are concerned about losing listeners, losing followers, but if you listen to Mount Murders, I think you know us well enough to understand that we are not people who bite our tongue. No. Nope. We say what we feel, what we believe. And politics aside, we can all share an interest in true crime. And regardless of how we lean politically, you can enjoy our podcast. We're going to tell you a true crime story. And we want folks to listen in. Yes. But... Again, I mean, I have to decide with Dylan if you are okay with American citizens being murdered on U.S. soil by tax-funded police officers. Yes. You really need to rethink your position. You need to rethink your position, and we're not for you. So we'll just... My heart goes out. I'm so, a veteran, and I serve this country because... I believe in the United States because I wanted to serve my country and be part of something bigger than myself. And I truly value freedom and democracy and upholding our constitutional rights. And that's for everybody. I did not serve and have friends serve and have friends who have been killed in combat, who've laid down their life, who've returned not the same from war with PTSD issues, with a myriad of problems so that we could stand by and watch citizens being killed here in the United States by basically our, our own government. Yes. Citizens should not be scared after people can go through all that. They can serve, they can be overseas, they can be deployed and then come home and their people and, and some communities worse than others. Typically, you know, low income communities, communities of color are scared in their own fucking neighborhood. They're scared to death when they go two or three blocks from their home because they see these cops that have bad attitudes. I'm sorry. And I think it's playing out. That's it's one scary. thing with the protest. Okay? Is these fuckers are, you see video after video. And if, if you, you can call me a liar if you want, but I can show you the videos of cops, people walking up and saying, so what happened? You got the cop dressed head to toe in riot gear. What happens when the curfew starts? I'm going to be, we're going to start beating the fuck out of you. That's what the cops are saying to people when they walk up to them. 
you see Tom, the the man in Minneapolis, or was it Minneapolis? The old man, Minneapolis, Minneapolis, the old man. I think that was in Chicago, where the elderly fellow was knocked down and has a severe brain injury now. Yes, he was knocked down, seventy some years old, a known activist, been arrested over three hundred times. They knocked him down. One of the cops, one of the younger cops, instantly reacted like, oh, my God, let me help this man. And his superior grabbed him by the shoulder and jerked him up like, keep fucking moving. So. We're passionate about this issue. Yes. We definitely are. Oh, oh my gosh. We're speaking out. We really don't give a fuck how that lands on people. If you don't like it, turn our podcast off. We're not for you. Yeah, that's true. And And um, if you're with us, then raise your fist in solidarity. Yes, and you don't have to be exactly like us either. We're not 100% right, and you're not 100% wrong or any of that bullshit. I'm sick of that mentality too. But you've got to be against American citizens being brutalized and killed on American soil in front of everybody. My fuck. Okay. High five, Dylan. High five. I'm going to take away your soapbox now. Okay, let me put my soapbox up. But that's an important fucking thing. I just had to say it. I'm sorry. It's okay, baby. And this is why I love you. Because <sighs> you are a passionate individual. Oh, my and God. And this is why our Mountain Murders listeners love you as well. This leads me straight to workers' rights, social economical transgressions against all the people in the... Lo- oh, my God. See, my brain's gone now. But let's do it. Okay. That's why we had to go on that. So that was part... Was in solidarity in part was in vacation, and that's a very important part of this story, right? Right. Vacation. We had to take a mental break. We did. We've been stressed, and we needed to get away. We had a lovely vacation. We went to a beautiful lake resort. We were still able to social distance. That was nice. It was not very crowded. There was kayaking, paddleboarding, swimming, golf, a lot of outdoor activities, grilling. Dylan was in heaven. He he was able to grill out every evening. He got to spend time with his mother in law, which he always loves. Golfing is rich people's sport, I think. <laughs> I'm a terrible golfer. <laughs> I've never, I used to hit a few balls and then I tried to play golf. You see what I did there? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> With my face. As always, let's give a shout out to our fine patrons who supported the podcast this week. Thanks to Cheryl and Rhiannon, both generously donated at Mountain Murders Patreon and are help bringing this case to you all. You can also sign up at patreon.com slash mountain murders podcast to access plenty of bonus content. Man, I was looking the other day. There's starting to be quite a bit of content over there on Patreon and Thank you to those gals because uh, it, it's this is truly a labor of love, and if it wasn't for the patrons, we would not be able to continue. Our story today involves vacations, love, and murder. Oh my God! Is As it... Huey Lewis sang, "The power of love is a curious thing." Huey nailed that. Ain't that the truth? Oh, wow. Sometimes love can blossom, and it's the most wonderful experience between two people. Other times, it's like a powder keg, ready to explode. Yeah, the science of the chemical releases in your brain when you're in love, quote, unquote, in love, is it's very powerful. A lot of chemicals involved, and um, I think if you remove that I'm in love emotion out of humans, so much crime and murder would never happen. Really? Yeah, don't you think? Because that's, that drives a lot of people in, in to do these crazy things that we talk about. The emotions, like, oh, I'm sorry, the heavy emotions that are involved? Well, the being in love, thinking they're doing it for love, or I can't, 
Uh, if I can't have you, nobody else will because I ha- I have to have you or all this shit. Yeah. yeah, love is probably one of the most, if not the most powerful emotion that human beings experience. Yeah, because I think you could directly tie jealousy, insecurity, and a lot of other um, uh, very strong, dangerous emotions into uh, love. Oh my God, love's fucking dangerous, y'all. Oh baby, I'm in love with you, but you know what? I'd kill over you. I'd kill people over you. I don't believe that. Not, yeah, I would just, that, that sounds like I would get them and kill them over your body. No, I don't mean that. I would protect you with my life. Yeah, and if you ever try to leave me, I would write a strongly worded email. He's joking, y'all. He's yes, too of lazy for an email. Well, I'm too lazy to stalk and kill, too. Erica Grace and Benjamin Seifert were considered an unlikely couple by the people who knew them. The pair could not be more opposite. Erica Grace was born into a life of wealth, privilege, and seemed to have it all. Loving parents, a big brick house, which she described as a mansion with a pool and basketball court, new cars, and a star spot on her hometown basketball team. She wanted for nothing. Oh, okay. Well, I did not grow up like that. Country clubs, name brand clothing, lavish gifts. Erica was given life on a silver platter. By the time the honors student and high school basketball star went off to college at the University of Mary Washington, she was beginning to learn some hard lessons in life, like what it meant to be the small fish in a big pond. Yeah, and that I think a lot of times that's a very big deal for people that come from a smaller community. They're you know, a family with some money. They're the popular kid. Now, she's an honors student and a basketball star. She had to, you know, work for that, obviously. But, yeah, that's a very big shock a lot of times from people go move on to college is a perfect spot for it. You're not the big fish in the little pond anymore. I've read conflicting accounts of Erica's college basketball experience. Some considered Erica to be the top athlete in her small Pennsylvania town. But when she got to college... Some say she realized she was actually kind of a mediocre basketball player at best. She didn't really have the height to be a college standout. Right. But others say she led in three-point scoring. Well, that's a big statistic. And did pretty well okay. at the collegiate level. But she definitely wasn't the big big dog in, on, on the block. When Erica met Benjamin, or B.J. Seifert, At a Fredericksburg, Virginia bar in 1999, the pair hit it off. However, BJ was focused on one thing and one thing only, becoming a Navy SEAL. Oh, so BJ's all into fitness and being strong and going to be a badass. So how do you let people call you BJ? This is no offense to anyone, but I mean, come on. A girlfriend was not in his cards. BJ had been born in Iowa, grown up in Minnesota. He was a poor student, but a talented swimmer. His athleticism was noted. And his biggest goal was to become an elite member of a SEAL team. Yeah, I tell you, that's a, you got to have some grit to go through that training, I would think. He joined the Navy, eventually earning a place in the BUDS program. Out of 77 recruits in the program, he graduated number one in his class. Wow, so he's very driven. A very, um, yeah, yeah, you got to have mental fortitude and physical, a lot of physical ability to do that. Number one, that's amazing. He was a serious sailor, and those who knew him said he also partied hard. Well, I mean, you got to, you got to blow the release valve somewhere. 
He was the kind of guy who could go on a 48-hour bender, sleep for 30 minutes, then run a marathon and finish first place. Okay, that doesn't sound human. (laughs) My God. But I've known men who've gone through special ops training specifically to be SEALs, and that's kind of how they are. Well, their bodies are in peak, peak physical condition. Their metabolism is on another level. So I think that's what really adds to that. They just go hard 100% of the time, whether it's during the training or it's partying. It's like they just give 100% and go hard as hell no matter what they're doing. Oh, my God. I know what you're talking about. Oh, give me a break. (laughs) In some ways, BJ and Erica were alike. I mean, they both were serious, focused, and competitive. Erica had always held herself to a high standard. Perhaps this was to seek approval from her parents. Her father was a serious man who believed in hard work, determination, and wanted his daughter to succeed. He had been a big proponent in Erica's basketball playing. Well, yeah, I mean, he's he's given his child a comfortable life, and obviously he's driven. I mean, well, I don't know where his money comes from or what he does. I believe but, he owned a construction business. Okay, so he's he's worked hard. He's, you know, got all this, you know comfortable life together and then you have your children live it but a lot of times I don't think people realize that there is so much pressure on these kids that live in these types of with the you know the CEO father or the big business dad or the mom who's very successful they expect their children to be very successful as well no matter what they do the bar is set high parents demand success yeah they want perfection I mean it can be a lot of pressure. Well, you can see depression and suicide and things of that nature in uh, families like this. And I think it's hard sometimes for, you know, the kid from the trailer park to be like, what the hell? What, what was so hard about that? But yeah, just always being expected to try hard as you can and be exceptional at everything you do. That's a lot of pressure on a young person. And knowing that her father is putting forth a huge chunk of money. Well, yeah. For coaching, training, basketball camps driving her to games, events. He probably has $100,000 in all that extra stuff by the time she gets, you know, to the collegiate level. So realizing that, like, you're an investment as well. Yeah, basically. That needs to pay off. I mean, that is a lot of pressure. Erica's mother was a trophy wife of sorts. She was beautiful. And a lot of people noted that instead of spending her days shopping and kind of living this life of leisure, she wanted to work with her husband. She was by his side, working along with him, you know, the whole time. Oh, so she's driven as well, and uh, a nuts and bolts type of woman. She's not just redoing the house, you know, 20 times and hanging out drinking wine with her socialite friends. Failure was not in Erica's future. And like I mentioned before, BJ was also no-nonsense. He was serious, hyper-focused young man. He lived and breathed military life. Well, they sound like a couple that would, you know, find each other and, you know, get together. Initially, BJ kind of blew Erica off. He was not interested in a relationship. But when the pair met up a few months later, the relationship took a different turn. Immediately, the pair fell into a, you know, boyfriend-girlfriend type of situation. Wow. I hope that uh, the listeners don't hear this horrible storm outside. (laughs) (laughs) Erica quickly became obsessed with BJ. She just couldn't think of anything else. And I think 
that's not so uncommon when you're young and you get your first serious boyfriend, girlfriend, you just think they hung the moon. Well, yeah, and um, these are rather intense people. You know, they, they, they lean into everything they do. They try their hardest. So I don't think it's a surprise that she'd be really, really in love. Well, and he's good looking. He's athletic. She's impressed. He's a Navy SEAL. Yeah. I mean, what woman wouldn't be? They impress me. Impressed, right? (laughs) (laughs) So she was just all about BJ. Within two weeks of dating, the pair was already discussing marriage. Though I got the feeling in my research, it was likely Erica who was pushing this idea. Well, and it sounds like she was kind of pushing from the beginning. You know, he wasn't all that into her. Friends thought the two were odd together. It didn't seem like a couple that made sense, but they got along with one another. The heart wants what the heart wants, right? Exactly. Now, most everyone who knew Erica Grace and her family would expect a lavish wedding. Well, yeah. These were the kind of people that, you know, they didn't do anything small. Yeah, they spend drop $30,000 on a freaking wedding. Are you kidding me? Instead, Erica and BJ eloped to Las Vegas. Oh, so they're doing their own thing. She didn't tell anyone for several months, including her parents. Well, I'd say it's going to be a pretty big deal because, you know, they, they expect to do things a certain way, make a big show of it, and introduce their daughter and her new man to the world, if you will. I think that in itself is interesting. Why you would run away to get married, and then keep it quiet. Well, it, Was it for fear that her parents wouldn't accept the relationship? Was it the thrill of having the secret? I th- Maybe it's all that stuff. Just for the two of them? But there's definitely something to that, to choose elopement. Now, that they have, you know, the parents haven't already, you know, a lot of times that happens after the parents uh, on either side say, we don't like that person, we don't think they're right for you, maybe you should... Look, you know, look at someone else. And then finally, the people are just like, you know, sneak off together, do their own thing. And then they come back and they're like, well, shit, you're already married. We got to make this work. But yeah, I think there's definitely something tied up because the family's definitely had a means to do a big wedding and all that. And I'm sure she. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. She expected, uh, knew her parents expected certain things, you know, for it to go certain ways. So maybe it's a control thing and she's just doing her own thing. Well, I think it's also going to show a lot of impulse Right. That will be prevalent throughout the marriage. Yes. Erica transferred to Virginia Beach, 
the Navy sent BJ to Alaska for some cold weather training. With his military enlistment, the pair is rarely together. When they are finally able to be together, the relationship is not what it seemed. The honeymoon was over, as they say. I mean, we all know marriage is a different ballgame. What well, is? You can love and date someone, but when you move in together, when you're living together full time, and when you make that commitment of marriage, that's a big deal. You see sides of people you never expected. And be like, I didn't know they farted every single day. <laughs> oh my God, they're gassy. Oh, I didn't tell you about my gas issues Thanks, while we were Dylan. dating. <laughs> that's not me. Erica joined him in Alaska, though she was not supposed to go up there. And he ended up getting into trouble. The Navy actually sent Erica and BJ back to Virginia. Now, so again, they're doing their own thing. They don't care what anybody else, what they're supposed to do. They don't care about the rules or what's expected of them. And BJ was not sure who he'd married. The confident rich girl who planned on going to law school was anxious, controlling, and had severe obsessive-compulsive disorder. So, yeah, he's the focus of her entire world, it sounds like. The other things are kind of going by the wayside. Her, you know, her further education, you know, family. He's all, she's got like tunnel vision on him. Codependency. And that's not good. Erica also had an addiction to Xanax and Valium. Well, that's not good either. And BJ, the sexy military man, seemed to focus less and less on his career. Oh, so... His chain of command started to notice significant changes in his behavior, his personality, his commitment. His marriage to Erica seemed to be derailing his career. Well, that's not good. He started getting into trouble, mostly for being AWOL, which is absent without leave. Is it, I thought it was away without leave. Absent. Is it absent? <laughs> yeah. Well, I believe you. You was in the military. His leadership would say he seemed to reject authority altogether. Yeah, this there's a pattern here. I mean, they keep doing it. They have certain kind of personalities. And I think it's that age-old thing with a couple. If they were separate still and didn't have this strong relationship between the two of them, they'd still probably be a cell excelling in all the things they were doing before. And from what I can understand, it seemed like most of his AWOL, his absences, were due to Erica not wanting him to leave her. Yeah, but so I mean... So he'd miss duty, he would miss training. He wouldn't be back on time. Yeah, he, you know, he'd get leave and come home and be late returning, and it all just seemed to be tied up in his relationship with Erica and her obsession yeah, it sound, sounds very intense. Eventually, he is given a dishonorable discharge, and I couldn't find a whole lot of information about what exactly led to that, but I'm going to assume it was just uh, an accumulation of, you know, the the different occurrences. Some of all parts, and maybe in the very end, something even more significant happened. They're like, look, you know, obviously this is not for you. But that's crazy because all that intense training... Bud, school, all that stuff. How, can you imagine how many hours he put into this? And then to get a dishonorable discharge at the end of it. I think that would leave a mark on a person. The Cyphers fell into a relationship of codependency. At some point after BJ was discharged from the military, 
they take two months and travel to South America where they bum around, but primarily stock up on drugs. They literally smuggled suitcases full of Xanax and Valium back into the States at the end of 2000. Damn, they just got like a bunch of uh, like pill trees down there in South America. What the fuck, dude? Oh, my God. By April of 2001, Eric and BJ had moved near her parents in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Erica's father bankrolled a business, Memory Lane, which was a scrapbooking store in the local mall. Oh, that's very 90s. Is this 90s? Yeah, and apparently Erica was really into scrapbooking. A lot of people were back then. But she wasn't very good at it. Oh, okay. Her scrapbooks kind of (laughs) suck. Really? Yeah. So she... Well, I mean, she's trying. You know, she's got daddy's money behind it. Memory lane. I like that. Scrapbooking. A fucking scrapbook store, guys. Okay? That was a very early 90s thing right there. I had a friend who owned a scrapbook store for a period. Does anybody still have these scrapbooks? I mean, someone may be listening right now that's into scrapbooking, and it's probably creative and cool. And it's, it's just not for me. It's not for me either. No, I'd be lucky to have a picture album. Erica couldn't bear to be without BJ for more than a few minutes at a time. And there was no way she was going to allow him to work just any job for eight hours a day. So her idea was that owning a business, the couple could be together. Oh, yeah. Yay. Now we're together at work, too. That always works out. BJ would later claim that Erica would have panic attacks when he left her, and though he wanted a job outside of their relationship, he just felt like he couldn't. Yeah, she's eating Valiums and Xanax left and right. Oh, my God. BJ had no money, so Mr. Grace, Erica's dad, was paying for the business and likely paying for their living arrangements and vehicles as well. So he's kind of trapped in a way as far as getting more he can't get more distance he doesn't have his own thing in any form or fashion that's not a good position to be in but you allow yourself to end up there well and it makes me wonder a man like bj who has been so fiercely independent and masculine in the military yeah um you know probably in charge suddenly being you know i guess financially dependent on another man, yeah, maybe, his father-in-law. Maybe I mean, I wonder it. if that kind of bothered him, messed with his ego a little bit, or if he was just like, hey, cool, I don't have to do anything, and I'm living a fancy lifestyle. Well, it can go either way, but that's one of those things that over time could wear on a person. Or if, when they argue, she's like, my daddy this, or my dad said this, we should do this. It depends on how, and I would think that, it's a natural reaction if you're bankrolling anything to be like wanting to control and manipulate it because or throw it up. So, yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing that could wear on someone over time, I'm sure. Not only did Erica expect her husband to stay home with her 24-7, but she insisted on living a certain lifestyle. Those who knew Erica described her as someone who wanted what other people couldn't have. Okay. She was obsessed with diamonds. Oh, I thought she was wanting mummies. Expensive jewelry, coach bags... And I want to laugh at this Hooters merchandise. Is that a thing? Is there people to collect Hooters merchandise? Meet Erica. (laughs) That's interesting. The tiny uniform tank tops that Hooters waitresses wear are not available to the public. 
that Hooters uniform of the tank top and those orange shorts. Okay. The terrible, shiny, danskin tights. Yeah. Right? But Erica was obsessed with anything relating to Hooters. Okay. So and especially the uniforms because they were not easily bought. Basically, you got to buy it off somebody who used to work there kind of thing. And Erica had 200 plus pieces of clothing from Hooters. She collected them. She loved having these shirts that no one else could have. Okay. Erica, I'm just going to say it, is the most basic bitch in the world. Oh, baby, you can't call her that. And Hooters is such a late 90s thing. Yeah, it is. Ew. The food sucks. The time or two I've been in there, I'm like, this is not cool enough to come in here for this shitty-ass food and this flat beer, flat warm beer. I considered once getting a job at Hooters. I bet you did. Well, I mean, I had big boobs. Well, you still do. But, yeah, then I decided not to do that. I'm glad you didn't because it's like, it's almost basically like, gosh, I don't know. It's just, I don't think it would have been for you. Let's just leave it at that. Well, I've worked in several restaurants and people I knew who worked there were like, eh, you don't really make, it's not like you make so much money that it's worth working, you know? I mean, you can work anywhere and make well, I'm the saying, same money. Okay, look, the time or two I've and been And I guess it one. was like at the time, it was the prestige of being a Hooters girl, you uh, know, when yeah. you're like 19 or whatever. Well, then you can expect to have some middle management douche hole guy who's wanting to, you know, treat everybody like shit and get game favoritism from the cute girls or whatever. But it's I, the time or two I went in, literally a time or two, right quick, I'll say it. They come up to you almost like you're at a strip club, and you know they're just obviously, oh hey, you know, and you're just like, well, this chick's not into me, you know, but she's she's just you know playing it up, or it's almost like you're stripping the strip mentality, not stripping, but without making the extra stripper money. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, I would rather just be a stripper. What? Yeah, I'm saying it's like you do, you you go almost that far. You're you know talking this guy. You have absolutely no interest in, uh, in up and all this bullshit and staying over there and f- curling your head, flipping your hair and all this shit. Well, I didn't have any hair. Rubbing your bald head. Yeah. And um, yeah, but you don't go home at the end of the night with a thousand dollars in your pocket. So fuck fuck that. You know, I don't think the girls should work there. Eric and BJ began obtaining exotic pets, mostly snakes and an alligator. Photos feature the pair with various snakes, which they named Hitler and AIDS. I don't even know what that means. Hitler and AIDS? I mean, is that for shock value? Probably. That's okay. BJ also began embracing white supremacy beliefs, getting a swastika tattoo on his chest and calling himself an Aryan. Oh, wow, thanks. That's really going to open us up to hanging out with a lot of different people. Sounds open-minded. BJ, who was a gun enthusiast, got Erica interested in guns as well. So they got Hooters apparel and merch, reptiles of various types named Hitler and AIDS, or two of their pets, and they love guns. And white supremacy. And scrapbooking. And don't forget, this makes an incredible scrapbook. (laughs) I know, right? Come down to memory lane. You can get all your scrapbooking supplies. People are complex creatures. Wow. During this time, the fireworks had fizzled between the couple. Erica would state that BJ rarely had sex with her. The need for thrills, action, continued escalating until eventually the two started burglarizing businesses around Altoona. So, like B.B. King said, the thrill is literally gone, and they're starting to do burglaries to feel alive or to 
put the spark back in it? That's weird. Well, I mean, I think you have to look at BJ. You don't go into the military and into special forces like being a Navy SEAL or Green Beret or like a paratrooper or something. Or Army Ranger. If you're not looking for adrenaline thrills. So you're like a type A personality. Kind of an alpha, And I think he naturally was one of these people who was thrill-seeking and needed to feel that rush. Okay. And take, and, you know, taking what his life had been and then almost like clipping his balls and putting him in the suburban lifestyle where he's running a goddamn scrapbooking store. Yeah. With his wife who is probably getting on his damn nerves and having like her parents in the middle of your business all the time. Yeah. And she's running around codependent as hell. He can't get any space at all. She's zannied out all the fucking time, which I can tell you right now. I've had family members who have prescription pill problems and it's aggravating as fuck to be around someone who takes these types of pills all the time. These downer pills. I'm a fucking God. It really gets old quick. Because they're all nodding out. And woo, 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 woo. They don't remember shit that happened the day before. All this bullshit. And not trying to justify what and, and, BJ and, is doing by any stretch. But I think he just needs to feel that adrenaline rush. And he just takes it further and further. And I must say, if you have a prescription pill or any substance problem, you seek help. You can do better. Sorry. Thanks for your PSA. Yeah, that's my PSA for the day. I'm Dylan, and I don't want you to do drugs. I grew up around that shit, and it gets old, is all I'm saying. I wasn't trying to, you know, look down or make fun of anyone. We get it, baby. Okay. But yeah, so uh, possibly BJ is kind of acting out, if you will. Right. Or like this. and <laughs> Like a child seeking negative attention. He's got to bring this girl with him to go do this thrill shit because she's not going to let him get within three feet outside of her damn space. I imagine she's the kind of chick that when he's in the bathroom taking a dump, she's like knocking on the door like, what are you doing in there, BJ? Can I come in? Can I smell it? Yeah. Okay. According to Erica, committing the crimes would arouse BJ. He would immediately get a hard on. Oh, fuck. Raging erection. And he would masturbate or have sex with Erica, which was still only about once a month. So he had to go break in a place, steal some shit before he could be like, yeah, and fuck her. <laughs> wow. I'm glad I don't need that, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready right now. Okay. Enough. Oh, sorry. Many of the stolen items were being sold on eBay by the couple. Erica particularly likes stealing merchandise from her favorite place, Hooters. What the fuck? So they were breaking into Hooters oh, so d- restaurants okay. in and around, you know, Altoona and the surrounding area. Oh, okay. The waitress tank tops were not available to the public, so Erica liked stealing those and would in turn sell them online. They, they for never quite a bit of money. And when people would buy them? Yes. No shit. During this time, Erica would claim that BJ was also cheating on her and that she had caught him at least two times, which caused her to sink into a deep depression. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. That's, well, that's bad for anybody, but her type of personality, their type of relationship, yeah, it's not going to go good. On Saturday, May 25th, 2002, the Seiferts loaded their Jeep Cherokee and headed for a condo in Ocean City, Maryland, where they planned to kick back and have some fun. I should also mention, I, it is my understanding that Erica's father had a hand in, like, building these condos. Oh, okay. And it was owned by a friend. 
Okay. So they basically just got to go have free reign for like 10 days at this condo. Yeah, so dad, daddy built it. He's, part, he's friends with a developer, all that. So they can just do whatever they want. BJ is drinking heavily while Erica is snorting crushed up Xanax. Basically the entire ride to the beach town. I don't know, man. If I take a Xanax, I go like to sleep for like three days. So I don't know how she's just partying down on the Xanax. They're different for everybody, I know. Ocean City, Maryland is a resort town on the Atlantic Ocean with a wooden boardwalk lined with shops, restaurants, and hotels. It's touristy. Okay. And it's kind of located where it's not very far from D.C., Baltimore, Delaware, Jersey. I mean, Pennsylvania. It's one of those beach towns that, you know, is pretty centrally located to a lot of cities and areas. Okay. So it's kind of a hot spot. Yeah, easy to get get to from multiple areas. Um, Ocean City, baby. Let's go. I want to go. I've been to Ocean City. Is it nice or is it kind of touristy? It's touristy. Okay. I mean, it's nice. I think, you know, when I went, I was much younger in my 20s. And so it's fun to go someplace like that. Where there's a lot of bars and restaurants and a lot of young people. Oh, yeah, I bet. But now I think, you know, probably we're too old for that. That's where you were scouting out the Navy SEALs. No, that was at Coronado. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. How you think I got my son? Oh, my God. The revelations keep coming. Well, you know, his, his dad was training to be a SEAL. Oh, well, you know, I was training to be an elite force of one. I'm an army of one. Thank you for that. I'm black ops, baby, off the books. Look, I had a past before I met you. Yeah. And it included Navy SEALs. Well, you know what? This is your future. Tall, this six is... foot five Navy yeah. SEALs. Mm, that doesn't describe me. Who gave me beautiful children. Yeah, they did. The first place the couple goes is, can you guess? Man, fuck that shit, dude. Where, where do you think they go? To the water. To Hooters. No fucking shit. Fucking hooters. The wings are so horrible. Oh, my God. Yep, they roll into town. First thing, they hit hooters. As I mentioned, Erica's obsessed with hooters. She has one of the tank tops on, I bet. Probably. Acting like she used to work at one or some shit when people ask her. The pair eats, drinks, and eventually makes their way onto a transit sort of trolley shuttle bus. Okay. That's going to a nightclub called Secrets. When BJ doesn't have the exact change to make the ride, and he's kind of on the bus, slurry, drunk. I mean, it's kind of obvious to everyone on the bus that these people are fucked up. A stranger on the bus offers to cover their ticket costs. Yeah, just to make this smooth and get this guy on down the road. That stranger is 32-year-old Joshua Ford. Now, I have to point out the pun of the name of that club. It's Secrets, but it's S-E-A. Secrets. Isn't that awesome? Somebody came up with that. BJ offers to buy his new friend a drink in exchange for covering the ticket price. Eric and BJ join Josh and his girlfriend, Jeannie Crutchley, on the ride to Secrets. And from what I understand, Secrets is a coveted and popular night spot in Ocean City. It's on the water, has dance floors, tropical cocktails... Really hot spot. Well, that sounds pretty fun. The couples waited about an hour to get inside the bar. Oh, fuck that. And the whole time, they're laughing, joking, taking photos. 
So they're kind of getting to know each other. They're having fun. Okay. Which hanging that out. happens. I mean, you go out to a bar, a brewery, or you're on vacation and you happen to bump into another couple. I mean, I know I've been there before where you start to kind of make friends with these people. Yeah. You all just want to have a good time. Right. The more the merrier. Yeah. Josh Ford was a mortgage broker who had a son from a previous marriage. He had grown up mostly in Boston after moving from Cedar Rapids as a child. He had a black belt in karate. He graduated from Norfolk State University, which was a historic black college. And I thought this was fairly interesting. His brother was talking about how Josh was such a devoted and loyal friend that he wanted to go to college with his best friend. And his best friend was going to Norfolk State. So Josh did everything he could to get into Norfolk State so he could be with his friend. Oh, well, that's nice. And he was just really loyal. I mean, everyone described him as being like the best guy, such a good friend, just all around amazing dude. Sounds like a good guy. He met Jeannie, who was 19 years older, at a Christmas party in Boston in 1999. And the pair hit it off. Let's pause for a commercial break. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jeannie was a successful insurance account executive. The pair lived together in Fairfax, Virginia, which was about 175 miles away from Ocean City. In photos, Josh and Jeannie look incredibly happy. They're often seen gardening and performing home improvement projects in the photos. A lot of family and friends say the two fell into their relationship very naturally, almost seeming like an old married couple who'd just been together for decades. Yeah, so they sound happy and uh, sound like they're getting along fine. One thing everyone agreed on was that the pair were truly in love with one another. Josh and Jeannie had chosen to kick off the start of summer Memorial Day weekend in Ocean City. It was a fairly quick drive from their home, and Jeannie had planned to be back for a work meeting early Wednesday morning. So let's go have a little fun, let loose for a night or two, and get back into your life. I want to do that. At some point in the evening, Josh had phoned his brother to talk about the Celtics game. Josh was a huge Boston Celtics fan. He and Jeannie had chosen a sports bar type of restaurant called the Green Turtle so that he could catch the game before heading out to the nightclub for drinks. Oh, yeah. Big sports fan. Calls his brother, checks in. They talk about the basketball game. And then he's like, hey, we're going to go out and have some drinks and party. I'll talk to you later. Seemingly normal phone call. Along with the Seifritz, Josh and Jeannie were having a great time. They were soaking up the atmosphere, ordering cocktails and dancing the night away. When last call is around the corner, 
The Seiferts invite their new friends to the Rainbow Condominiums where they're staying to continue partying. Yeah. Well, that happens a lot. You've been having a good time. You kind of don't want it to end. Everybody's had a few drinks. Hotel, motel party. A lot of drinks. And then, yeah, it's time to go to the hotel. After party. Yeah. At this point, BJ and Erica have been drinking all day, popping pills, snorting pills. They're just fucked up. I don't even know how they're up on their feet, honestly. I really don't. The four arrive at the condo, and the evening goes on until... Erica notices her purse missing. Okay. Erica has her grandmother's canary diamond ring in the purse, which is probably worth about 10 grand. Probably shouldn't carry that around in your purse. Along with her other prized jewelry items. Yeah, and her bottle of Xanax, probably. She accuses Jeannie of stealing her purse. Oh, my God. So Jeannie crutchly denies having taken Erica's purse. Josh is explaining they don't have the purse, and Erica is freaking out and demanding that BJ do something about it. Oh, God, and I'm going to assume BJ's a big dude, big, strong, muscly dude. Oh, my God. BJ pulls out a gun and demands that Josh and Jeannie get undressed. Okay, like I'm hiding a purse in my pants? What the fuck, dude? The pair undresses... It is clear that they don't have Erica's purse in their possession. And by this time, Josh and Jeannie run into the bathroom trying to figure out a way to escape or, you know, what the next move is going to be. Yeah, because they're probably raging at this point. They're damn drunk, high on pills. This is not taking a good turn. No. This is scary. Yeah. They've taken our clothes. They've pulled out a gun. I mean, fucking terror. Yeah, just just that quick. It goes from hanging out, having fun, to, you know, terror. And that's crazy. The bathroom was rather large, and it featured a hot tub, but no real means of escape. There were no windows to climb out of. And this couple's panicking. Yeah, I start beating on the damn walls and screaming or something, man. What happened next has been disputed by the Seifreds. According to BJ, he was not even in the apartment when the shots were fired. He claims he was passed out in the Jeep the whole time. Erica tells a different version in which BJ is standing outside the bathroom door with a gun, yelling at the couple inside. She finally tells him, just do it, do it. What the fuck? Meaning, kill them. Won't you go look for your purse, you crazy ass woman? And BJ shoots through the door, hitting Josh. Oh, my God. Josh had been yelling behind the closed door, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to us? Please just let us go. Why are you doing this? Jeannie's crying, screaming. The couple open the door, and they find Josh on the ground, either dying or dead, while Jeannie is crouching down, and she's trying to hide under the vanity in the bathroom. BJ shoots Jeannie in the shoulder, and she's in, like, a fetal type of position. This is when Erica gets a knife And cuts Jeannie. Oh my god. Pure terror. Later, Erica's handprints are found on the bathroom window as though she were like outside trying to direct him where to shoot the couple. What the fuck? Like where they were hiding. Like from a balcony kind of perspective. There was blood everywhere. Next, BJ and Erica begin dismembering the bodies of Josh and Jeannie in the hot tub. What the fuck kind of condo place is this? Nobody heard gunshots? There's no cops? At some point, 
She claims BJ ordered her to a store to buy black garbage bags. When she returns, BJ has the body parts spread out in the bathroom. Erica says BJ tells her to look at the fresh bodies, saying how beautiful it is. What the fuck, dude? He asked Erica to... He asked Erica to get a digital camera so she could take a picture of him with the two heads. Okay, see, this is, uh, I don't get, these people, they they was off, they were unhinged before this, obviously, because, I mean, even if you're drunk, hi, something goes crazy, you overreact and do something, this is very abnormal behavior here. I mean, what the fuck? Of course, we always say, if you'll cut bodies up, you're a different kind of damn crazy. Erica says BJ is naked, covered in blood, with an erection. He wanted a pic to show his friends. Erica then claims, and this is graphic, that BJ took Jeannie's head and began having sex with it while forcing his wife to watch. Okay, damn Edward Kemper. What the fuck? Now, at no point does Erica offer to leave the apartment, even though she's been sent out for trash bags. And she tries to play victim throughout the story as if she's helpless in all of it. But she's full of shit. Because yeah. she's just standing around watching. Yeah. And at no point tries to stop any of this. Or call for help. or um, And she started this shit. And she's claiming she's afraid of BJ, but she had every opportunity, if he's in the bathroom dismembering bodies, to get the fuck out of there. And you left and went and got other stuff, trash bags and such. That's bullshit. You had your opportunity right there. Erica then claims that BJ was placing the body parts in the trash bags and that he pulled Josh's leg aside and asked Erica if she would cook the leg for him. Jesus Christ. She denied having done so, but when detectives were asking her later about whether BJ cannibalized the body parts or drank blood from the bodies, she wouldn't answer them. Okay. So she didn't uh, deny or confirm. This poor couple. They just happen to meet someone in line at a damn club or on the bus, trolley, whatever, being nice, trying to help them out. And it leads to this for absolutely no fucking reason. She's been, um, she's been high as hell all day. There's no telling where her purse is. It might be in the damn car. Oh, guess what? They find the purse. Where the fuck's it at? She claims it was under the bed, but investigators said there was only about a half inch clearance under the bed, so, so there was no way it could have been under there. It wasn't under the bed. And we'll get to that. Oh, my. What the fuck? After the couple bagged up the bodies, they cleaned the bathroom. Then they drove the body parts to a dumpster in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, for disposal. BJ worked at a grocery store in high school and knew that the dumpsters would be emptied several times a week. He told Erica they would return to the area to check that they'd be empty later and they could go to the outlets there so Erica could do some shopping. Yeah, okay. We don't want to make totally waste this trip. Let's get you some shopping in. Then the couple took a nap for a few hours in the Jeep. Afterwards, they went back to the condo, I guess napped again. They bought cleaning supplies and began tackling the mess that they'd left in the bathroom. They spackled bullet holes in the door. After doing what they felt was a bang-up cleaning job, the couple kept Josh and Jeannie's social security and ID cards, along with Josh's ring and a few other trinkets. Okay. Not very smart, but they don't seem like very smart people anyway. Pleased, BJ pointed out they still had almost a week left of their vacation. My God, 
Damn. It's like, it's like they're not even in, a, like they've had a break from reality. I mean, it's like they're not even looking at this from a realistic point of view. In the hours following, the couple were captured in photographs eating crab legs, hugging, smiling, kissing, and having a great time. Erica gets a tattoo on her hip of a cobra. Allegedly, she will later say this is the spot where she cut Jeannie Crutchley. Okay. And she wanted to get this tattoo to remember what she had done. Plus, the tattoo really turned BJ on. Ooh. The pair felt like Bonnie and Clyde. Outlaws, gangsters, natural-born killers. They felt unstoppable. Erica would later claim her favorite movie was True Romance, and she definitely seemed to romanticize this life of crime. Wow, now that's a that's a good movie, but I could see her simple-ass like love in that movie, right? And now they really think they've done something by attacking these poor, unsuspecting people out of nowhere. I mean, what did you accomplish, really? God, what what the fuck? This is crazy. It's a crazy-ass story. And I I feel horrible for that couple that got tied up with these maniacs. In the middle of their 10-day vacation, Erica and BJ found themselves again at Secrets Nightclub. Erica had been doing drugs all day, plus drinking. BJ would say she was acting really crazy. And the couple meets a guy named Todd Wright. He was incredibly drunk, too. And at some point, the Seiferts asked Todd to come to their condo to hang out. Todd begins calling his friend, a woman named Melissa, who lived in Delaware, explaining that he was fall down drunk with this other couple. He made 16 calls all together, asking Melissa to come join them. Okay. Then he later calls back and explains that they have a flat tire and that they are all too drunk to change the tire. All right. So eventually, Melissa, not really wanting to go out, agrees, okay, I'll come help. Oh, no, Melissa, don't do it. She finds her way to the trio, eventually changing the tire. Now, she said BJ seemed to drift from coherent enough to have a conversation to acting goofy drunk and can't change the tire himself. Oh, okay. That his behavior is just very odd. Yeah. Once she changes the tire, they offer to buy her a drink. Uncomfortable because it's late. She's just not feeling it. She rejects the offer, but they just keep pressuring her. Oh, she, she needs to get the hell out of there. Melissa says Erica immediately is acting like they are old girlfriends. Like yeah. they're just best friends. Erica is hugging her, just eating her up. You're so beautiful. You're the coolest. She needs to get her buddy and get the fuck out of there. The woman reluctantly agrees, and they go back to the rainbow condominiums. Inside the condo, Erica immediately seems to sober up. Okay. She starts getting manic and starts asking where her purse is. Huh, what the? Oh, okay. So here we go again. She's freaking out. And BJ is looking. They're like tearing the place down trying to find her purse. Melissa eventually is able to get away from the couple after BJ pulls out a gun. She gets out of there? He tells her another couple tried to rip us off. And she just knows it's a bad scene and needs to get away as soon as she can. Yeah. Yeah, do that. 
So she somehow manages to, like, kind of diffuse the situation, calm them down. I think Erica ends up finding her purse. Oh, wow. Someplace. She knew where to damn purse This woman, Melissa, said she almost felt like BJ had hidden it, like it was some kind of game. Yeah. That they were playing with each other. Nah, he's trying to set this bitch off, Erica, so he can do, because he got a super thrill out of that, obviously. He's fucking covered in blood, all that stuff he did. And yeah, he wants to do it again. But she gets the hell out of there. Oh my God, thank God. Good for her. Yeah, good for her. When Jeannie does not make her departmental meeting on Wednesday morning, her co-workers are very concerned. Jeannie was incredibly punctual, so her inattendance is noticed. A co-worker called Jeannie's mother, who had not heard from her daughter since she had gone to Ocean City. The co-worker then calls the Ocean City Police Department to file a missing persons report. During the early morning hours of May 31st, 2002, officers get a call about a silent alarm being tripped at a local restaurant. It's a Hooters oh located in a strip mall. I knew you was going to say it was a damn a Hooters in a strip mall. That's just gross on top of gross. Oh my God, I knew it was a fucking Hooters. I knew it. When the officers arrive, they find Erica and BJ's Jeep Cherokee pulled up to the back door of the restaurant. The couple is carrying out merchandise. I mean, they've just loaded up and they're walking outside. Both are armed. BJ is cuffed while Erica asks, can't we just put the stuff back and you let us go? Yeah, because that's how the law works. Inside the Jeep, they find um, lock picking materials. Okay. Guns and more stolen merchandise and goods. Okay. So they got the two dumbasses. Erica starts having a panic attack and asks officers if she can get some medication out of her purse. Okay. One of the officers agrees, and when she does, that's when the officer finds the ID and social security cards belonging to Josh and Jeannie. How dumb. The missing couple. Well, you know, I'm glad they're that dumb, though, honestly. I'm glad they weren't any more cunning than they were. Erica claims she found them on the beach. Yeah, and, and that's just, you, that's what you do is you pick up somebody's social security cards and IDs and you put them in your purse and you just keep it. You don't turn it in. You don't tell anybody. And I believe she's wearing Josh's ring. I think she's either wearing it on her finger or had it on a necklace. Okay. Both are taken into custody. Search warrants are executed on the condo where the Seiferts were staying. It was not difficult for investigators to find the mess left behind. Yeah. The amateurs had left blood, tissue, and other evidence in the condo. It was in the hot tub drain, washing machine, and all around the bathroom baseboards, etc. They could see where the bullet holes had been freshly spackled and painted. Yeah. Eventually, the police are led to two separate landfills to recover the remains. Now, this is one of the coolest, this is a cool part of the story that you told me. BJ and Erica turn on one another. And when we talk about the landfill, Delaware is a state that they know exactly the location where they are dumping trash in a landfill. Right. So they were able to go to the exact, like, geo-coordinates Of where these dumpsters would have been dropped in this landfill. So, yeah, they're tracking it. They're building the landfill in a certain way. 
and they it was not like they were out there randomly digging in tons of trash. They knew if this dumpster's emptied into this truck on this day, this is the coordinates, this is the square it's in, which exactly. is awesome. Because they were able to go directly to the remains, right? Yeah. Yeah. BJ and Erica turn on one another. Erica will claim that she's the victim herself. She's a battered wife who had to go along with the demands of her scary husband, who was this trained killer. And BJ will contend that Erica was an active participant who urged him to kill. She liked the thrill as much, if not more, than he did. And this happens every time. These, these killer couples turn on each other if they get you know, caught. Erica also changes her story multiple times during the early stages of the investigation. Yeah, so um, she's probably lying. Well, what it seems to be is that BJ tells a story and kind of sticks to it. Okay. But her story changes so many times. Yeah, she seems a little doofy to me. Sorry. No offense. One story that Erica told about BJ was that he demanded she get pregnant. She did, and when she was four months along, he forced her to have an abortion just to see if she would. That was the kind of control he had over her and the kind of abusive types of things he would do to her. Oh, gosh, poor girl. In the time they were incarcerated before the trials, Erica's behavior, as documented in a book, Cruel Death by M. William Phelps, which I used as a resource for the story, it's insane. The the information he's documented about her, wow. So she's really sounds like she's really unhinged. She is definitely a sociopath who in one breath acts as if she's the victim and in the next shows detectives photos of Josh and Jeannie that she took hours before they're murdered and like talks about like their old friends and is bragging like, I took this picture, isn't it good? Oh yeah. That's not normal. While she's in jail, she gets a male pen pal that she falls madly in love with and starts writing him all these salacious sexual letters. Turning on BJ, she talks about her ex-serial killer husband. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the chick has some serious problems. She's got her mom sending this guy money. Really? And gifts. And her mom's doing that? Yeah. Her mom. This girl is a wackadoodle. I'm sorry, there's no other way to put it. Initially, Erica was going to make a deal with the DA, but then at some point, she spent four hours talking to detectives without her attorney, (laughs) much to her parents' and attorney's dismay, and basically confessed everything, including her involvement. And she just couldn't keep her mouth shut. Yeah. She likes an audience. She likes to be the center of attention. doesn't even matter if it's bad attention. She also took a lie detector test, failed it. Erica, who had been painted throughout the arrest and investigation as a golden child who would never be involved in such a heinous crime, was suddenly admitting to so much more than anyone could imagine. Oh, well, there you go. In separate trials, the couple are tried in Rockville and Frederick, Maryland. Due to the publicity, the trials had to be moved out of Ocean City. Benjamin was convicted on April 9th, 2003 of second-degree murder and first-degree assault in the death of Jeannie Crutchley. What? He was acquitted of all charges in the death of Josh Ford. Why? He was sentenced to 38 years in prison. How the fuck? They murdered and cut these people up. Melissa, the woman who had nearly, you know, 
basically escaped a near similar fate. Yeah. Testified that she and her friend Todd were basically in the same situation with this couple a day or so after Josh and Jeannie had been killed. Yeah, if she hadn't got them out of there, they would have been killed. No doubt about it. Erica went to trial June 3rd, 2003. She was convicted eight days later of first-degree murder in the death of Josh Ford and second-degree murder in Jeannie's death. She was given life plus 20 years. So she got a worse sentence than him. Yes. Yeah, I I know there's a lot to these pleas and how things work out and getting people to cooperate, and I, I get it. But sometimes it blows my fucking mind. He pulled the gun out. Well, I think there was so much he said, she said. Well, yeah. She was in possession of their personal items. The gun, I believe, that had actually been used to shoot Josh was Erica's gun. It was in her possession. Well, that's true. I mean, I think there was a lot more evidence suggesting that she may have been involved. I guess that's true, and they turned on each other, and you'll never know what really what's true and not true. And um, I think, in a, in a way, she was a... I don't know. He was a fucking weirdo, though. So, I mean, that's some crazy shit he did with the bodies and all that. In 2010, BJ filed for and was granted a divorce from Erica. Wow. Both couples have exhausted their appeals. Benjamin is eligible for parole in 2021. No shit. Erica is eligible in 2024. They don't need to be out. I don't think they're going to get out. Well, they shouldn't be out. They're dangerous people. They're both dangerous people. As I mentioned, Cruel Death by M. William Phelps um, was a big resource I used in this case. It's a very interesting book, full of details. There was so much information. Of course, I couldn't fit it into the story. Oh, my God. But it really dives into... The letters Erica is writing and some of her, like, mental state while she's in jail. Yeah. It's like, wow. There's also a Forensic Files episode and killer couples that were used um, for this case. Oh, man. Time and again, every time we talk about these couples, the Neelys, we talked about them. They get together, and together, they're monsters. And who's to know what would happen if they never found each other? But they totally, this is another example of them feeding off each other. Oh, my God. Well, there's no doubt in my mind that Erica and BJ would have continued a murderous crime spree if they hadn't been busted. Well, yeah, that's your textbook. They've done it. They've gotten these reactions, you know, turned on and all this different stuff. And now they think there's some big shit. And they definitely would have killed again. And there's no telling how long until the authorities caught them. Thank goodness they're just fucking goofy as hell. Like I said, if they were any more cunning and uh, deliberate, they would have been very even more dangerous. I also agree with you and think that they probably wouldn't have separately killed. Maybe not. Typically but not. together, they were just this really deadly combo, and they were feeding off the worst parts of each other. Yeah, and I think that's what drives these uh, situations and these couples, is that very thing. They're either reinforcing the worst parts or just... The way they interact amongst each other, you know, it just builds into this thing. And then uh, there you go. This poor couple's murdered. It's so monstrous what they do 
when they desecrate their bodies and stuff like that. I mean, I don't get it. The Cypherts are definitely, I think, labeled as thrill killers, but also hedonistic killers because they really seem to take pleasure in the murder. Yeah, I, yeah. Oh, well, definitely. Well, he's relishing in it. I mean, he's, uh, it sounds like they probably could have, uh, in that condo, obviously, maybe there wasn't people in, you know, like when we went and had our couple of days away, that some of those units are empty. So maybe there's nobody around. They could have very well have um, hauled these bodies out without cutting them up. And But he was relishing in that. He didn't mind that part at all. Yeah, it's very, very, very weird. Well, thanks for listening to episode 88 of Mountain Murders Podcast. You can follow Mountain Murders on Instagram and Twitter. We're also on TikTok. And you can download Mountain Murders wherever you get podcasts. Hit subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and tell a friend about our Appalachian true crime show. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.